Juneteenth is officially a national holiday in the United States. All this happening while groups throughout the country try to ban critical race theory in schools. We dig into just some of the nuances of this topic on this week's Counter Stories. It's our favorite time of day. Welcome to Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. My name is Luz Maria Frias. I'm Deputy Attorney General for the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I have during this podcast and all our podcasts are solely my own and not to be attributed to my employer. Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros, Malax band member and cultural consultant. I'm Anthony Galloway, executive director of Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora and senior partner at Dendros Group. And I'm Halili, owner of the other media group and producer of Counter Stories. We've got a quite a bit of uh, material, I think, to, to discuss uh, in this segment. We'll start off with the fact that Juneteenth is just a few days away as of this recording. And we have seen, at least in my circles, uh, a, just an increased amount of celebrations by mainstream institutions that are now celebrating and promoting Juneteenth. And I want to hear from you all how you feel about that. I know I was surprised when I saw a local mainstream co-op, and I won't uh, put their name on air, uh, with an email in my inbox uh, celebrating Juneteenth and then, of course, uh, putting some some marketing materials along those lines. And I, I just thought, hmm, this is not something that I've seen previous to this year. Is this as a result of the racial awakening, if you will, that has transpired since the murder of George Floyd? What is going on? And at the same time, we're seeing some missteps and stepping back. So talk to me, folks. How are you feeling about this? Well, I, I have to weigh in right away just because a lot of work had um, has been done on the ground and behind the scenes to just get these proclamations forward. This isn't the first time that um, states and even our federal government has um, people have brought forward something uh, to the tune of honoring um, Juneteenth. And I think I think our, our current racial reckoning has absolutely has something to do with with the willingness and the want for folks to try to step forward and be on the right side of this. But I, I don't want to miss the groundwork that it's happened all over the uh, country for years. I mean, even when I was in high school, I was in a play written by Rose McGee called Kumbaya, the Juneteenth story that was trying to spread this message and, and spread the word about Juneteenth that was happening in communities across the country. And so um, I just, I just want to make sure <laughs> that we don't, uh, that we don't forget that there had been groundwork trying to move towards this moment. Now, whether or not folks are sincere and finally go along with it now versus others, I'm absolutely down for that that debate and to, and, and to critique that. But there have been people pushing for this for a long time. Indeed. Uh, and I think too often it fell on deaf ears, right? Um, the The mm -hmm. work as it is is incremental uh, and takes uh, decades, if not generations, to come to fruition uh, before we actually see something. Declaring Juneteenth the national holiday obviously was cool, although late. Um, but it just, 
it confuses me because at the same time as everybody's saying, let's celebrate Juneteenth, they're trying to put a bosh on um, critical race theory in schools. So I don't, I don't, you know, I feel like, uh, I don't know what to say about that. It's like one, it's like two opposites. It's like you're doing something really great on one hand, but at the same time, you're like stopping it from being taught in schools. Hmm. Not to mention the opposition to the 1619 project that's also exactly. being critiqued yes. all over the place. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, this, uh, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me insofar as there are many examples uh, in community and mainstream where you have these opposing, polarizing views and actions uh, by mainstream folks. Um, I know here in, in uh, our little community, there's a, a group of community folks who who have uh, kind of created, we're now, I think, the third or fourth annual Juneteenth celebration. And, um, and you know, the fact that now it's recognized as a national holiday, I think more importantly, you know, I think a lot, most people just don't know what Juneteenth is. And, um, um, but I th also think that, you know, how many, how many businesses do we know or places do we know that, uh, you know, Martin Luther King holiday is a holiday. But how many people do you know have to work on that holiday? Mm. You know, mm. I mean, uh, mm. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of businesses that don't honor um, uh, Martin Luther King Day as a paid holiday and and uh, require their uh, employees to come into work. And I know June 19th doesn't always fall on us on a Saturday. Um so it will be interesting to see how that actually plays out in the workplace, whether or not people are actually given that day off as a holiday, paid holiday. Don, that's a really good point from the standpoint of employers extending then a holiday because a holiday is, me is meant to be time away from your workplace. And certainly there's a segment of our community where they continue to work through holidays, most holidays, uh, retail stores and grocery stores to, to some degree, maybe they have a half day or a partial day uh, where they're open. Um, if there's a federal holiday, you have federal governments uh, and institutions associated with that. The post office, um, which is not a federal government agency, but still nonetheless will close. Banks will often close for these um, holidays. But yeah, right now we're not seeing a whole lot of movement there with respect to allowing your workforce to take that day off in observance of that holiday. Well, you know, to to that point, there, there there's an interesting thing here that's that's going to be coming down the pipeline. And I think this idea of, of what kind of conversations we are allowed to have, and I big air quotes on the allowed to have, because, you know, as, as we think about Juneteenth, it's going to force us to have to contend with a, a, a something each year that we didn't have to mm -hmm. think about before. 
there's going to be all of this resistance. Why this holiday? Why do we have to look at this? And this in particular, I think, matters per our previous conversations on counter stories, because it, again, forces folks to have to deal with something that's extremely nuanced. One, that um, the federal government had to send General Gordon Granger to Galveston, Texas, because people were moving to the southwest, to the southwestern states to keep slavery going after the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, so, so that's one. Two, folks are then going to have to understand why Black folks celebrate this particular day and 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 why the celebrations matter. Um, and so, there's that level of nuance. And then there's the actual General Order Number Three that was read by General Gordon Granger, which yes tells the people of Texas, informs them that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. And but then it goes on to say. Um, and, it, and it establishes equal, uh, absolute equality of personal rights and, and of property between former masters and slaves. But then it also goes on to say that freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness, either there or elsewhere. So even in the proclamation given, there's this undercurrent that people keep trying to trying to bring forward that has been consistent in our country that says even when we try to do something right like passing a national holiday for Juneteenth in there within therein also lies all of these systemic patterns and coded language that we've been talking about that have to be at the table so i just i i i am expecting a whole lot of of racist rebuttals just just because of this thing that we're doing because of the convergence of the racial reckoning. Now, I wonder if if folks did start getting that day off, would they care more? Should Juneteenth not fall on Saturday? Because uh, people love to get a day off, right? Would they care more now that they might be able to get a day off work? You know, Haley, I love that you're raising that question because historically you're one who says, you know, you you don't believe in, <laughs> in optimism. So, yes, yes, I'm seeing that. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, there are people who are like, oh, now I, you know, now I get this day off. I don't, I don't really know why. Something about slavery. And then it's an opportunity to educate yourself and to educate your friends and family around you who might not know I, about this. I love that you're being so optimistic about it, <laughs> but but I'm gonna. There's a little bit of a role reversal here. <laughs> Too often, when these holidays take place, people don't take time to do anything. Let's let's use uh, the Dr. Martin Luther King holiday as an example. How many people who take that day off do anything in celebration or in honor and remembrance of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Aside from sharing something on Facebook. And Twitter. Right. I mean, that's that's really if that right for for a large part of our uh, society. So um, I, I I do share your optimism, but I think there's some uh, reality here that that has to come into play. I also. Um, so I appreciate Close. that. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Keep it going, though. Keep it going. <laughs> Love it. You know, this also raises another question for me which has also been something that has been trending of late. Uh, it's been, of course, in the background, um, but it's more relevant as, 
as employers now start to reopen their doors and have people return to the office. So, and I'm talking to a segment of our population who are not in facing customer service type of positions. So they're not in retail, they're not in restaurant. These are folks who are office workers, for lack of a better word, right? So when I when I have seen these posts and and have conversations with my friends who are largely BIPOC, um, folks are saying they are not wanting to come back into the office because working from home has allowed them some safe space to be free from these nuances, Anthony, that you're talking about. These, these awkward conversations, the microaggressions, you know, it's every summer, you're inevitably going to have somebody say, a white person say to either someone who is Latinx or someone who's black, say, I'm almost as dark as you, right? I mean, that has mm-hmm. happened so many times to my friends and family that, that folks are just tired of it. Uh, the other nuances, of course, is just what you alluded to, Anthony, in terms of the meaning of Juneteenth. And folks uh, having some gripe about that and and pushing back on that. Working from home during the pandemic has allowed BIPOC folks who are office uh, workers, for lack of a better word, the safety. Well, I think um, one one thing, and again, I keep coming back to the historical piece, right? So first and foremost, let me say, I absolutely feel that um, that kind of equity breath or that break that, that that can be taken from 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 doing that, and also just understanding that a job can be done from home, right? Um, and so being more intentional about what can be done from the office and not, um, you know, and being able to make those decisions. I, I want to point out that when Juneteenth happened, um, and folks, particularly in in the Galveston area where the proclamation was read, where the general order was read, began to immediately. Um, start to mark the occasion and celebrate. Um, and they chose uh, they chose the color red, um, which has particular significance for actual Juneteenth celebrations. We got to remember that people have been celebrating Juneteenth and holding festivals um, for for since 1865 and so or, or around 1866-67. So um, it's not new in many Black community circles. To what degree it's been celebrated, you know, here in Minneapolis. We used to have a big festival and then the festival got real commercial. And that's all the reasons why why folks kind of abandoned it um, as an activity. But I have a feeling it's going to come back around. But there were traditions that were held. And it was interesting. If you go back and look at the newspaper articles, uh, people were writing articles like, oh, well, it was actually a pretty orderly event. And they sang um, uh, wonderful hymns and, and, you know, you know, folks. They they really know how to keep it orderly and 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 there was this 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 air of of passive aggressive um, racist judgment on the ability of folks to even celebrate their own holiday. So fast forward to what you just shared, Luz. There's a direct connection of folks experiencing this assumption about the abilities of folks of color um, that absolutely have weighed on folks, and they've gotten a breath from that. Um, and those interactions by being able to work at home. So I actually, there, there's there's actually a really pretty clear historical connection. The, the only other thing I'll offer here is I'm starting to see in the responses to what is coming up uh, around Juneteenth, the, the rebuttals that we talked about earlier, um, 
uh, other examples of of, of tokenism um, that I think the history of those newspaper articles and the first Juneteenth celebrations underscore. And that is, well, look at how good they are. So the, for the folks who decry racism on one side, well, look at these, the, you know, this, this model minority over here. Look at how, well, so-and-so made it. Lose, you made it. Therefore, you know, why do people keep screaming historic racism? You just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps um, and get get to do hard work. If you work hard, you'll you'll get there. And so the systemic racist stuff is is BS. There's also a break from having to deal with those kinds of things by having being able to work from home and not have to engage um, in that way. And so I, I think there's some re- there's some really interesting pieces of nuance to what you just shared, Luz. And I think there's there's also Another um, part that I, I, I want to move on, but I can't until I, I say this um, with respect to what you just said, reading this, you know, these old uh, articles in newspapers with the term orderly. I mean, that to me, when you're using that to describe a black community, it's, it's, it's a dog whistle, right? It's a, it's a complete dog whistle because what, what it's inferring is that this is an exception to what you would typically see in the black community with respect to a celebration or a gathering of, of any sort that that they tend to be not orderly um, and you know it, it's offensive to to hear that um, framed in the way that it was framed and and I know you didn't you didn't write it you're just you're the, just a messenger so I'm not here trying to knock on you but uh yeah it it uh it just never ceases to amaze me with with that respect. Yeah, I was just um, gonna bring up a an incident that happened, you know, recently, um, and not that it was widespread, but in in in, in and while it was an isolated incident, I think it just kind of touches on touches the surface of the topic of what we're talking about. But in Ohio, there was a Memorial Day service where. Um, uh, a lieutenant, a retired lieutenant colonel from from the army, was uh, given a speech. He, you know, he had been invited to a a, a veterans ceremony for uh, Memorial Day, and in that speech, he had uh, information in there where he was talking about how the uh, freed slaves um, played a role in creating Memorial Day, where in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, um, after the Union troops took control, uh, some of the Union troops had been, you know, um, captured and and, um, were kept in a camp and many died and they were kind of just massed buried. And and so the slaves in uh, Charleston dug those bodies up and gave them a proper burial. And in that had a, a, a celebration to properly bury these Union soldiers. And that's often cited as, you know, one of the beginnings of a Memorial Day. Well, when he got to that portion of his speech, the organizers of this uh, a Memorial Day celebration turned his mic off for two minutes because they didn't think that was uh, germane to their celebration honoring mm-hmm. their veterans at yep. their location and turned his mic off. 
for two minutes when he came to that portion of the speech. And he thought it was a mistake. Exactly. You know, the thing is, is the, the organizers of that event, two of them have resigned. Right. Because of this issue, because this happened, because they're silencing him. Isn't this the same thing as people trying to get critical race theory to not be taught in schools? <laughs> exactly. Like, it's, I mean. like, it's the exact same thing. Am I wrong? Like what? I think they all drank the same Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. And, and, and this is what is infuriating and not just on the critical race theory side. Right. But, um, the the central mechanism here has to be connected throughout history, has to be connected. Um, white, predominantly white responses, and I say predominantly white responses because this type of dominant cultural supremacist uh, kind of response to any shifts that give uh, power or preference to, to those harmed um, by our historical actions it's been consistent, not just here in the United States, but across the world. Whenever you you have any place that has a dominant culture and in a, in a, in a culture that has been marginalized, this is another form of, of, of policing, right? This is the way in which we try to police who can say what, because if we abs- acknowledge the reality of what is, what comes with that is having to acknowledge the collective shame of our past experience. Now, understand that that shame does it not mean that you or were there, you were the one who made the choice, you were the one that made the decision, mm-hmm. but understanding that our history is this <laughs> means something. It means that despite everything I want to think about my own American mythos of, of pulling myself up by my bootstraps, I have to also acknowledge that somehow there was something outside of my work that is responsible for some of my success. And if I ha- if I acknowledge that, that means I'm not as special. That means I'm not as, as, as central. <laughs> I'm not centered. And that's a hard thing. And I think this is something that has been part of all of these historical responses. And we have to understand, and remember back to your orderly comment, Luz, earlier, that people of color, in particular Black folks in the United States, have been the most orderly. <laughs> let's, just talk, let's be clear. When we talk about who's been disorderly, um, uh, it hasn't. Black folks haven't massacred whole towns and cities of people. They haven't uh, uh, perpetrated genocide of indigenous folks. I mean, if we want to really um, talk about what disorderly looks like, we have examples. They don't burn a city down when their baseball team wins. Right, right. Building entire cities down when the baseball team wins, or you know, walking into a church and and, and killing a whole bunch of innocent folks because. You've got a, an armed weapon with you, you know, which is. is and then being cost. able to walk out alive and unharmed. That's oh, right. Oh, or walking that gets through deeper. a crowd with with an automatic rifle, as in Kenosha, Wisconsin, unscathed, like but that, with, that gets, with complete permission. Right. It gets that much deeper, though. And I have to let's talk about Dylan Ruth for a second. Um, so Mother Emanuel Church is an AME church. So that's where it strikes close to home to me as a, a minister in an AME church. We have to understand that's not random. That church was rebuilt from the church that was burned down under a massacre of Denmark Vesey, who was collective, who was meeting with groups of folks, inclusive of white folks, to, to again, build coalition. And folks called it a uh, 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 planning meeting for a slave revolt. 
and mo- this is mostly freedmen, mind you, by the way. And Denmark VC and his crew are are massacred, right? They're, 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 you know, it and the church is burned down. It is then rebuilt by that same community later. <laughs> And that is the church that Dylan Roof targeted. So I, I think we we have to really understand that when we're, we're talking about Juneteenth, we're talking about all these things. These are historical patterns that are so consistent, you can count on them. And the historical pattern, yes, and the historical pattern over the centuries is that repeatedly Black churches are burned down, right? I mean, dating into the 1800s, into the 1900s, and, the, you know, now we're, we're, uh, 2000 and, you know, 21 here. And, and we still see black churches being burnt. We see mosques being uh, burnt mm-hmm. as well, right? And attacked. And and it, it is that pattern as, as you... In synagogues. And synagogues. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that as well. Um, you know, I, I can't help but to, when we talk about uh, the example that you shared, Don, of, of this speech in, in celebration of Memorial Day and, and its uh, inception and having um, the Black community be just a big part of how Memorial Day came to be as a federal holiday is <laughs> the beauty of social media just did not allow that to go unscathed, right? The beauty of that amplifying that um, instance. And it backlashing, right? Folks thought that, okay, if we silenced his microphone, no one's going to hear the message. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> the message was amplified a million exactly. times over, yes. you know, because they did that. And so, you know, I, I love it when um, these examples take place and it, it works against them uh, because it, it needs to, it needs to really bring about the change that we need and elevate the atrocities that um, have historically gone unchecked and and um, without any type of repercussion. Uh, so I'm glad that it's, it's hitting that. And this There's isn't one. just a, a, a black and white issue either. Like, I feel like everybody should be concerned about what we're not being taught in schools. If we're not being taught this history, that is such a huge part of American history. What else are they not teaching us in school? That's a, that's a tenet, that's a that's a tenet of critical that's, race theory called counter that's stories. Right. That's right. That's right. And okay, let's let's just be honest right now. Who of us learned about Juneteenth through a history book when we were in school? I know I didn't. It wasn't until I became an adult that I learned about it on my own. Uh, but who of us learned Juneteenth from a school teacher from a history book? No. Nope. All in community. I'll tell you where I learned it from. Um, when I was in high school, I was in a program called Don't Believe the Hype. And it was a TV um, production program at um, Twin Cities Public Television, um, by and for youth of color. And that's when I learned about Juneteenth from my mentor, Daniel Bergen. Um, and I remember being really mad when I learned about it because I hadn't learned about it. Right. So when he was when he was telling us this group of of multicultural youth um, and we were going to go to an event and shoot some video and do interviews. And I was like, what what is Juneteenth? I don't understand what that means. And so he educated us. And then I was mad that I had to learn it from him, you know, a television producer instead of school. 
where I was so in the here, International Baccalaureate program and I'd never heard about it. Here, here's, right. the, here's the kiki haha of that, right? So the whole time that that is true, we have some of the largest festivals rivaling the numbers at Rondo Days <laughs> in mm-hmm. St. Paul. We had during that whole time that you're descri- you're talking about Huli, the Juneteenth festival at Theoworth Park was under what was happening. I mean, thousands of people descending on Theoworth Park for the Juneteenth celebration. It can both be true that communities um, can be celebrating and understand. I mean, uh, Luz, you talk about this every time we get to Cinco de Mayo, we have to re-educate what actual Cinco de Mayo is. It's not Mexican Independence Day, but that's what people have have grabbed onto. Mm-hmm despite having huge populations of folks who know and honor it for what it actually is. Those two things can be true. And it's part of this, um, it's part of this uh, double consciousness, this multi-consciousness of the United States that that we can simultaneously know something and not know something that's staring Mm -hmm. us right in front of our face. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to Juneteenth uh, celebrations in uh, Theodore Worth uh, Park and gosh, they were fun. And and it was it just a um, family event, you know, and you just saw so many people uh, that you knew, but also new people that you would meet. And um, it was it was a good time. I, I miss those days. And I I attended the, the Juneteenth celebration in North Minneapolis before it moved to Theater Worth. Oh, that's right. So the first one, the first one was actually down the street from the old elementary school I went to. Grant Elementary had changed to uh, Bethune, and there used to be an area there before they tore all the old projects down. There was a little park, and um, that's where the first Juneteenth celebration happened in North Minneapolis. Before it moved to Theater Worth, that's when I found out about Juneteenth. And so it wasn't it, it was it was the black community coming together and creating this celebration in North Minneapolis. And I don't remember what year it was. I it, it was I think it was toward the late 70s. And um and that was the very first time that I learned about Juneteenth. You know, all these things weren't taught to us. You know, how often have I brought up the fact that in, in um, when I taught at Metropolitan State, I would ask the students how many reservations are in Minnesota? Hmm. And, and you know, in eight years, not one student hmm. got that correct. So, I mean, there, you know, not only are we, not only is our history not taught, but that's purposeful. It's erased. And, and, and uh, you know, so it happens not just for celebrations like Juneteenth, you know, we remember we all attended uh, uh, the movie Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Well, I had never heard of those women mm-hmm. in the contributions they they, you know, they made to NASA. I remember when when uh, Tom Weber, you know, who who we used to uh, do the kind of stories with on when we were with NPR asked us, well, who else are we? Who else do we not know in our history? Right. Or who else could we add to that list? And I remember telling him, well, how do we add people to that list when we don't know who they are? Because we were never taught or told about Mm -hmm. our history. You know, and it falls right in line with the strife shared when I was at McAllister. And it's true, you know, um, that that teacher, I thought 
the professor I had at McAllister was the most honest uh, response that I had heard when she told me when I asked a simple question about American Indians and in early American history, she said, "We you study history from the from the point of view of those who conquered and not those who were vanquished. And that's the very thing that we're talking about here. Right? That's as honest as it gets. Yeah. Our, our history has been purposely left out. Well, and to your point, it's been erased. Uh, and they, the government, the U.S. government wanted to erase the people at the same time. Um, and continues to do so um, exactly. with its approach. Yeah. I think it's important. I just think it's important, you know, to as we talk about the history of Juneteenth and what it means, because we're going to have to contend with this now that it's a national holiday. We're going to have to contend with the education that goes around it in a new way. Um, even though we've been doing this work and we've been in community for a long time, it now has a national standing. I, I need to call our attention to, to one of the things that Juneteenth brings forward and, you know, celebrating our Independence Day as June 19th, as opposed to the 4th of July. This is going to be part of the rebuttal conversation. Go ahead, because I was going to say it. Go ahead. So so Fred, Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass, in an iconic speech, um, what to the slave is the 4th of July? He says, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciations of tyrants, brass-fronted impotence. And it goes on from there. What I need to contextualize here is that Juneteenth, is actually the celebration of dealing up front with the hypocrisy of what Frederick Douglass was putting forward. Juneteenth is not a celebration of, uh, of our Independence Day in opposition. It is a practice of the completion of what we're supposed to be about as a country. To say that we're going to call attention to the fact that when 4th of July happened, we were still in bondage, and it was under the penalty of death and the head of the army who reluctantly was sent to, to forcefully emancipate folks is what it took to get rid of this institution. This, this is the juxtaposition that we live on a daily basis. Like to be, to be a person of color in the United States is a reminder to our country of our past sins. And that alone is enough to kick folks into shame spirals before you even open your mouth. So why not go ahead and celebrate who we should be right, and, and call out the hypocrisy? That's another function of the Juneteenth holiday. That's right. That's right. And it'll be very interesting as we continue to go down that path to have folks now begin to learn. And hopefully, <laughs> here's my optimism, Haley, uh, <laughs> that teachers will begin to teach their children uh, in the classrooms, that families will begin to teach um, their young ones uh, and talk about these topics at the kitchen table uh, and, and begin down that journey of becoming more aware of the important history that really needs to be shared with all. Because, you know, there's that saying that when you don't know your history, uh, you'll often then repeat the injustices that are associated with the history. 
and we cannot afford to go back any longer um, with regard to oppressing various members uh, of our BIPOC communities. Uh, entire segments and generations have paid a dear price uh, for the injustices in the past. And uh, we just, uh, we got to look up and look forward, right? And, and, and encourage folks to, to not stick their head in the sand, right? The magic of Google or Safari, <laughs> what, what, whatever uh, method you uh, most use uh, on the internet, you have literally a world of knowledge at your fingers. Uh, and if you don't know much about Juneteenth uh, and you've learned a little bit more today, you can learn a whole lot more by jumping on and immersing yourself in the history of it, uh, immersing yourself in the writings of James Baldwin and, and so many other Black leaders um, in our community that have really allowed us to grow uh, with, uh, with their positions and with their writings as well. I don't want in 30 years for somebody to say what I just said about not learning up about these holidays, right? So you have these holidays, you get them off school, you get them off work, and to you, it's just a day off or it's a festival, right? Like Cinco de Mayo, like, oh, let's all just go down and get some good food and hang out with some music. Like I, in, in 30 years, I don't want somebody to be having this conversation again. So it, it's just, you know, we, we live in a world of information at our fingertips at all times. Um, so yes, I totally agree with you, Luz, that, you know, educate yourself, educate your family, educate your friends, because Otherwise, we're going to be back here in 30 years having the same conversation about why didn't we know these things. I don't know about you, but that's uh, that's not something I want to do in 30 years. <laughs> I, 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 I want to be retiring like uh, our good friend Don Eubanks, who uh, is chilling and, and allowing uh, retirement to uh, to come to fruition. Is that right, Don? Uh, you got that straight. You got that. Although, you know, retirement doesn't mean that you just roll over and die. So I'm I'm still staying active and going to be uh, extremely active in our communities and and uh, and and doing work to to try to overcome some of the uh, barriers and issues that we've been addressing in our, you know, in this evening's podcast. So, you know, I still plan on on, on being engaged. As my sister said, she welcomed me to where every day is Saturday. And uh, Ooh, yeah, nice. I, worked a, I worked a long time to get to that point. My anxiety and stress level is has gone down tremendously. Well, Don, you, you know, it's funny. You just made an excellent point in regards to Juneteenth. You have worked a lifetime of, of hard work and you have now earned your resting period. Um, that is not what how the folks on Juneteenth were treated after having mm. toiled uncompensated for all those years. And the first thing that happens afterwards was an admonishment about not being idle. And so, you know, right. That's right. And go 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 back and enjoy your homes. You know, I'm sorry, those were not homes. If you're enslaved, yes. <laughs> you those were not homes. Hey, let's uh let's make our next national holiday election day. 
Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you 110%. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Absolutely. We can, we can start on that uh, positive uh, act right now, right? And, and encouraging our elected leaders federally to make that a national holiday. I mean, heck, it is in many other countries uh, around the world. Uh, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't it be here? Well, you've been listening to Counter Stories. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General, State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros, Malax band member and cultural consultant. I'm Anthony Galloway, executive director of Arts Us, Center for the African Diaspora and senior partner at Dendros School. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. We'll see you next time. Thank you. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group and Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Mm-hmm.